How's everybody doing this wonderful evening? So excited to be diving into the book of Colossians again with you all. Hope everyone had a wonderful Mother's Day celebrating all the special moms in their life. So thankful for my mom. I'm so thankful for my wife. And we're expecting our second child, May 22nd. So we're getting so close. But uh, as you jump on with us, uh, tag a friend, share this. This is going to be a great time invested in the word tonight, wherever you're watching from. Uh, just uh, hit the like button, love. It just gets more traction, interaction. We would just love to be able to spread the message of the gospel and the the integrity and clarity of God's word into people's lives and homes. So what we're going to do, I can see a few people watching. Nick, it's so good to see you. Uh, such an honor having you on and uh see a couple uh willie great to see you my friend so good to have you all so what we're gonna do is we've been on this journey talking about an expository study of the book of colossians i want to actually give a quick plug uh this past week we had minister eric gilmore join us at gold street garden it was such a blessing and he recently did a a whole breakdown of the book of colossians and it's a great study it's called uh, the subtitle is The Sun is Dim in Light of Him. Highly encourage you to grab that if you didn't. Uh, I didn't even, he just released it in the middle of us doing an expository study of Colossians. So it'll be of great value to you as well. But what we're going to do tonight is I want to go through the entirety of the chapter. So I'm going to break it down the way that it, it, it outlines. But chapter three of the book of Colossians, I titled tonight, character, home, and work. And in this chapter alone, Paul goes from talking about the doctrine of who Christ is as a person and how we are to look at him for every avenue of our life. But then it, he goes into the practicalities of how you walk that out daily. It's a daily discipline to follow Jesus and to make conscious decisions to value him as Lord in your life. And it's an inward work that he does, but it's something that we have to consciously yield to. And the way that we do that, and I've had such a burning desire to tell people about the word of God being emphasized again as the supreme authority in the body of Christ. I was having, I've been having conversations with a lot of believers of how it seems like so many Christians have begun to memorize Christian catchphrases more than they have scripture. And that some Christian catchphrases that kind of get adopted in the body of Christ come from ulterior motives. They're actually, they're not the best motives with which they come. Like there's some examples of that when it's like people say that the church isn't about a building, it's about um, people. Um, and there's truth to that statement, but a lot of times that statement comes from a place that I'm just going to do whatever I want, and I it doesn't matter if it's in a uh, uh, if I'm submitted to a church or if I'm submitted to a a body of believers, I'll just do it. You know, sometimes people just say, "Oh, God will forgive me," and there's truth that God will forgive, but sometimes people abuse ideas of God instead of truly allowing the Holy Spirit to create standards in their hearts that they can actually live in because God's standard of love brings about freedom to our lives. And we should be being transformed. You know, I brought this up real recently that God formed us, then sin deformed us. Now Christ has transformed us. And the way Christ transforms us, he, he, he wants to transform the way we approach every area of our life. And that's why tonight Colossians 3 really breaks this down with our character, then our home life, and then our work life, ministry, so forth. Now, character is so vital. Character will preach more than your words, the way that you present yourself, the way that you carry yourself is carries extreme vitality to every arena of your life that you can preach the gospel all you want. But until your character does, no one will listen that your character exclaims 
who you are submitted to, your character preaches what values you hold the most dear and what values should you hold the most dear, what the word of God says. We should want what the word of God says. We should endeavor to be in the word daily and allowing it to transform every avenue of our life. So let's start by reading some of Colossians together and get this in our hearts. So in verse one of chapter three, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So verse one, right out the gate, if you were raised with Christ, so he's talking to believers that believe that they have been raised with Christ. It says, seek those things which are above. So we seek that which is above. We don't, we're not gauging based off what's going on in the world and current events as our main indicator of the decisions we make or what we do. No, we're we're seeking those things which are above and it says where Christ is. So we're the reality we're tapping into is the reality of where Christ is, where he is currently seated and it says that he is sitting at the right hand of God and the right hand exemplifies God's powerful where his power lies and where he is at it's the his his position of power christ is seated at the right hand and it says that this is what we are to be seeking we are to be looking at where christ is and allowing his position to completely impact us so when we realize where christ is it'll completely change the way we approach everything in life. The book of Romans says Christ, that Jesus is making intercession for us daily, that he is praying for the church. So when we seek where he is, we begin to get his heart for things. We begin to hear his language. We begin to sense what that is. And the way we seek what is above the most practical way is by reading the word of God. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. What does that mean? It means that the word of God is Jesus. So to seek Jesus is to seek the word, is to dive into the word and find out what it says. So then in verse two, it says, set your mind on things above. I find this very familiar to a thermostat, that if I was setting a thermostat to a desired temperature, I would set it to where I want it. And then that thermostat would, would fight to keep that temperature in that room. You have to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. How tempted are we on a daily basis to set our mind on the things of the earth? It is a, it is a daily war that you have to um, be attentive to that when you feel pulled into the arguments of the world, when you feel pulled into those things, you have to immediately resist. The Bible says in James 4, 7, to submit to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. But it's in that order. It's submission. So you have to understand what submission is in order to be able to resist temptation, which is resisting the devil, and he will flee. If you don't understand submission, you have no power over the enemy. Um, just because you've been giving authority in Christ, that authority flows through submission to God, that it's being submitted to the will of God, which is the word of God that allows that authority to yield and, and to be able to be utilized in its fullness and its capacity in your life. So Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So you see how practical this is, that every day you have to make the decision that I'm going to set my mind on the things of God, not the things of this earth. Now, we brought it up last week that it's important to realize that when we set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth, that doesn't mean that we negate our responsibilities that we have on the earth. It just means we have found a new motivation and an inspiration, which is why people in the body of Christ should be getting promoted in the workplace and in, in natural circumstances. Because if you are doing things with the motive that you're doing it for the Lord, you should have a greater 
motive and a greater inspiration than anyone else, which would cause you to do things with a greater capacity of honor and love because you're doing it unto the Lord because you've decided to set your mind at a place that others have not disciplined themselves to be at yet. So is that helping anybody as you're listening that we set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth? Now, continuing to go, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So right here we're finding that you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul is, a, is, is helping them to see the church of Colossae, he's helping them see that you were raised with Christ, you have died with Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Being hidden with Christ is such a beautiful, beautiful analogy and such a beautiful thing for us to see because all throughout the Old Testament, Christ was hidden in shadows. Um, you could see Christ in every story in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus was the ark that Noah, you know, was in that same, you know, Jesus was Isaac being sacrificed. Jesus was um, Isaac finding a bride, Rebecca, you know, the bride of Christ. You know, I, you know, you can see Jesus in Jacob's life um, when Jesus and or Jacob wrestled, you know, you can go all the way through the Old Testament and see that Jesus in all the stories of the Bible, he was hidden and then he was revealed in the, in the New Testament. We see Jesus coming full circle and being revealed. Well, it says that we've been hidden in Christ, in God. And when Jesus returns or when we see him, we will find out uh, the, the, the glory that has been appeared to us, that we will find out all the things, you know, your most precious moments with God alone. I love the story of Abraham when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, that Abraham did not have a huge audience on social media. You know, he didn't have a big congregation of people in a church seeing him sacrifice Isaac. You know, that was a moment between him and God that his most powerful encounter with God was a moment alone with the Lord. That in today's culture and day and age, the person that is seen the most or the person that does the greatest deed in front of everybody is sometimes championed to such a degree. And I'm not saying that there's not noble things that are being done that we're all able to see because of the way information is passed along in a digital age. but Abraham wasn't, his story wasn't championed until later, and we are still seeing the dividends of his secret place sacrifice today. That what you do alone with God is actually creating your eternal bank account and your eternal heritage. That what you do alone with the Lord and what you do solely for him, not with any ulterior motive of what you'll get from other people or what other people will see from you. What you do for him alone is the most important. You see, the work you allow God to do in your heart is way more important than the work you accomplish for him. The work you allow God to do in your heart is more important than the work you accomplish for him because the work you accomplish for him is the byproduct of the work you allow him to do in your heart. This is where so many believers prematurely step into callings before they allow the inward renovation of the heart. This is why submission is so important because when you learn submission and authority and you learn to not buck and prematurely step into things that God did place in your heart, but there's a process that needs to be learned. There's a there's a breaking that needs to take place of your will in order for you to be compliant and pliable to his voice. Hallelujah. So as we keep reading in verse 5, it says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then it gives us a list. But did you see how this is a responsibility that you have as a believer? Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. So while you are still on this earth, you have a responsibility to cut off, to, to eliminate 
these things that are about to be listed. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. idolatry. Now, evil desire in the New King James is translated to um, lustful or sexual lust. So we have right here, putting off fornication, uncleanness, passion, uh, sexual lust, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, covetousness is a huge problem in the body of Christ, and it, it creeps in so quickly because covetousness means that you desire what someone else has for your own, that you are not content with what you have been given by God and what you have in your own life, that you are coveting what others have. And that is a heart issue that needs to be dealt with immediately. You do not want that to linger. You want to deal with covetousness. In fact, you should go before the Lord. And soon as you feel like, you know, some that you don't have something or you're, you're, you're becoming very jealous of someone or you're becoming jealous of what somebody the result somebody else has or things like that, you have to bring it before the Lord because you got to operate from purity. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, that the pure in heart shall see their God. And you don't want to compromise a pure heart by giving into jealousy or covetousness. So that is a responsibility. Verse 5, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be able to put to death the list we just labeled, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I want to remind everybody that we, once again, when we simply just go through the Bible, you know, this we lack this in the body of Christ, that we've become such a, a culture that needs to be entertained, that if the message isn't entertaining, or if it's not capturing that we don't receive it, not realizing that we need to read the word of God and honor it as literally the voice of God helping us get to our destination. So when we read the word and we just simply go line upon line and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us the things that need to change in our life, we need to celebrate that. It, we don't always need hooting and hollering and uh, these uh, just all these major examples and personalities to exclaim that we we the word of god needs to be enough again and i want to and we're going to talk about our home lives and and work but men of god that are listening tonight it's up to you to create a hunger in your in your home life and if you're if a single mom's watching same same you know a, you have to be able to create a culture where the word of god is emphasized in the home that there's an honor for the word of God, that it's not just about um, the coolest praise and worship song. It's not just about who the, you know, the trendy pastor or the trendy things. The word of God has to be honored as the supreme authority in the home. And we need to raise up a, a generation that honors the word of God as the, the framework of convictions for every decision. Because the reason um, the culture has gotten so away from the word is because the church has continued to allow more of what the world has accepted. The church has just tolerated it and just said, this is just where we're at and we need to accept where we're at in, in culture. But God gave us standards for a reason. The standards were not to be legalistic. The standards were actually to create the, the boundaries to where life can be experienced at its fullness and at its maximum joy capacity. So these things need to be dealt with. And then in verse six, it says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is something we don't hear about a lot, but there, it, you see, a lot of people question why God would send people to, to hell. And the, the framework of that idea is actually off. It's a, it's from the enemy to think that way. Cause we, we don't realize God doesn't send people to hell. People make a willful choice to not humble themselves. God only sent is the, the hell was made for Lucifer and the fallen demons. It was made for Satan. But people make decisions to reject God completely. It's so 
it's so dangerous. When we go out on the streets ministering on a regular basis, if I told you all the people I walk up to that say that this is just, you know, my relationship with God is I just don't go to church or I just don't believe I have to be in the word or pray every day. It's just, it's just something I've worked out with God. Like people talk this way because what have people been conditioned to say? My truth. That's a, that's literally a phrase in our culture that is championed. This is my truth. Well, that's a, that, that's the most deceptive place you can be is to have your own truth. You see there, I heard a, a wise minister say this, and it really stuck with me. He said, there's a huge difference between knowledge and truth. And you see, the difference is, is just because you know something doesn't make it true. Truth is true whether you know it or not. You see, God's word is true whether you believe it or not. God's word will outlast every lie and every inferior opinion to it. The word of God lasts forever. So we as believers need to be so thankful that we've awakened to this revelation by the Holy Spirit and that we have to see that once again, it says, because people are not putting off fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, it says, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This is a reality that there is that God has a wrathful side. You know, it's in once again, people's definition of love is just anything goes, anything is accepted. God's definition of love is ultimate sacrifice to sacrifice, that there is no greater love than one that lays down his life for his friends. But in today's culture, there's no greater love than to just, you know, be, be yourself. And what be yourself means just do whatever feels right. And everybody needs to accept that. And we make laws to make people feel better about their, their own feelings that haven't been corrected. And even giving children at the youngest of age, the right to to make decisions that should not be made until they've had the proper discipline and the proper instructions from, that's why the Bible says to honor your mother and father. It's because if you don't learn to honor your, your mother and father at a young age, honor, uh, you know, elders to honor adults, caretakers, if you don't learn to honor, you're not going to honor God in your life when you leave the nest, so to say, that learning to honor mother and father at a young age is what gives you. And that's why there's probably people that are even watching that got saved later in life. And maybe, you know, they're, they had good parents or they didn't have good parents and their idea of, of honor, which I'm so excited for tomorrow night at service. We're going to be talking about the honor of God. And I'm so like, it's such a message that's been burning in my heart. I've been just eating, drinking, and sleeping the honor of God in the scriptures and just really having a, a huge reality check of things that I, I'm, I'm missing and just having that renovation from God to grow. Isn't it amazing? You know, whenever I get corrected by the Holy Spirit, I, I, I'm so thankful. I begin to celebrate saying, thank you for pointing this out so I can grow in it. So Verse seven, in which you yourselves once walked in when you lived in them. And then as you keep reading, it says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You see, the Bible is very clear. You know, you got to watch, you know, sometimes Christians apologize for, for cursing in front of me or things like or, or just cursing in front of a pastor or, or things like that. But we got to realize that, you know, the Bible just says, it's not about who, who you do it in front. Of. It's just, if the, the word of God just says, don't let anything filthy come out of your mouth and, you know, don't beat yourself up. If, if you've, if you allow that to come out of your mouth in the past, just see it in the word of God and say, Holy spirit, really help me with this. Cause I want to make sure I represent you. Well, I want to make sure I say, but it's, it's even down to your language, the things that come out of your mouth. You see, when you have a Lord, what did Jesus say? He said in John chapter five, he says, I say nothing unless I first heard the father say it. Do you know how much discipline it takes to only open your mouth when 
you truly are hearing from God, not just flinging the first thing that comes to your mind out. You know why it the Bible says to be slow to speak and quick to listen. In Proverbs, it says only a fool gives an answer on a matter before he's heard the whole story, all the sides of the story. That That's serious stuff. How quickly are we to give an opinion before we even have gotten a scope of what's going on? How quick are people to say, if I was God, I would do it this way, not realizing that there are so many things that they cannot see that God can see. <laughs> You know, um, I'm so thankful that God is God and not anybody I've met, no matter how great I thought they were. I'm so glad it, there's no position in the world that if God decided to take a day off, we would see how quickly we need to revere him. If God decided for one day he was just going to take a day off and not be God, we would see how quickly everything would fall apart because we don't understand when it comes to authority and it comes to the the perspective of heaven. And we need that in our lives because it humbles us to realize how things operate and go. But once again, we are to put off anger. So you need to identify anger in your life. If you, if you, if you have a lot of anger outbursts, that's something you need to deal with. Um, even if it triggers up once in a while, I've had to notice it in my own life when certain things, when I get, I would get a little extra angry, I'd be like, all right, Lord, I got to really deal with this. There's a root here. Um, Holy spirit, help me get out of this. Cause if, if you can't control your emotions, they're, they've become an idol. That means that you actually give your emotions more leadway than you give the Lord. Because if, if you can just fly on an emotion, and just fly out on anger, it actually shows that anger has become your Lord. Your emotions have become your Lord if you can just so quickly be yielded to them at any moment. Now, am I saying there's going to be moments where you have mishaps, but you got to identify it and say, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. Holy Spirit, help me to put this off so that I can represent because we're going to find more right here. So it says right after it says that in verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Then it says, now we've been hearing what to put off. Now, here's a phrase I want you to get. We need to put off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Put off the grave clothes, take off the grave clothes, and put on the grace clothes. That's what God has given us. He's given us grace clothes. and what you'll see here is it says put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him so when we read this put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him so we're to put on christ character now this is something that'll help you. It's talking about putting off, you know, the old ways of man, but it uses a wardrobe as the analogy, clothes. Now, most decent human beings will get this understanding, but <laughs> where do you put your clothes on? You put your clothes on in private. That's where you change. You change in private. So this is something that is a daily practice that when you get alone with God, it's a reminder to put off the old man, to put off the, the wardrobe that you used to wear, the clothes, the, the, the anger, the, the lying. You, you take those clothes off and then you put on the clothes of Christ. You put on the renewed man, which it's something that's done in secret. It's done in private with the Lord. The only time you change clothes out in public is when you made a mess uh, and you spilt a whole bunch of stuff on you and you're like, oh, no, I got to change because because of this. And there will be moments where you'll have to do that. But it, it's in the secret place that you do this exchange of wardrobes. You you take off the grave clothes and you put on the grace clothes. So it then goes on. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. And then slave nor free, but Christ is all 
in all. So this is what it's trying to say is that across the board, everyone has this responsibility. It's not just a, a certain culture. It's not just a certain race. It's not even uh, dependent on a male or a female, that this is the responsibility of every believer to put off the old man and to put on the new by the Holy Spirit. But it gave us the the, the framework at the beginning, the way that we do this is by setting our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Amen. So as we keep reading in verse 12, it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. So it's telling you what to put on. So what is, what do we need to be wearing? What needs to be the, the habitual disciplinary daily faculty of our wardrobe. Well, it says, put on tender mercies. What does that mean to put on tender mercies? This, this means that we, we have tender hearts towards people that we're constantly looking for the best in people, trying to edify, trying to find the good in people. And mercy is such a beautiful thing. You know, let me read this whole thing. It says, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. You know, long suffering is the 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 more radical way of saying patience. And you see, God's patience is not tolerance of sin, but rather mercy for repentance. And when we have tender mercies towards people and we're patient with people, we're giving them opportunity to see God rather than react with sin to their sin. Rather than just jumping the gun and coming at people, we react with tender mercies. We react with kindness and humility, meekness and long suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. What a what a weighty phrase. Just the way that Christ forgave you, you are to forgive others. You know, Forgiveness is so important. You don't ever want to hold unforgiveness. Now you can you can hold standards, and there can be uh, communication things, but you always have to forgive people in your heart immediately. Um, so important to you don't want to hold anybody hostage with unforgiveness. That is so demonic. You have to forgive. It there is not a greater stronghold than unforgiveness. It's dealt with so clearly by the Master Himself when it comes to prayer. When He talks about prayer, you'll you'll hear Him always emphasize that forgiveness is part of it. Even with the Lord, you know, when he taught the disciples to pray, he says, forgive those that trespass against us and lead us not into temptations. Because if you have unforgiveness, you'll be led into a myriad of temptations because unforgiveness causes so much bondage in the heart. You have to let, you have to forgive people. You have to let things go. And you can see bitterness in people grow. Unforgiveness is so demonic. It is so demonic to hold to because we we talked about this weeks ago. We did a whole night on unforgiveness at Gold Street Garden. And when you don't forgive people, what you're doing is you you're saying that you can you can judge people better than God can. That's really what it's saying. You're saying that you want to be Lord of the judgment and you're going to withhold forgiveness until you see fit to forgive. That is not what the Bible says. You can't find that anywhere in scripture. The, the th it, there's a difference between for forgiveness and then just having wisdom on how to proceed with something like, um, you know, some people can do heinous things and it's not just saying, you know, if I'm just being, you know, if somebody had, you know, did a heinous crime or a heinous thing, you're not just going to, you know, put them in charge of something right away or whatever, you know, there, there has to be natural disciplinary actions taking place, but the forgiveness in the heart needs to, needs to take place. So verse 14, but above all these things put on love. So this is saying out of all the things that you can put on a wardrobe, love is what you need to be known by. Even Jesus said that they will know you are my disciples by your love. He doesn't say by your your power, by your your faith. He says by your love they will know you. And what did he do right before he makes that statement? He washed the disciples' feet and shared and served them a meal. 
So he washed their feet. He, he served them in the most humbling task. Then he served them a meal. And he said that they will know you're my disciples by your love. Follow this example that I've set for you. So he was showing that love is, is serving. You know, um, I, I once heard a wise man say that you can you can serve without love, but you can't love without serving. And what a true statement it is that one of the the dominant positions of love is to have a heart that serves with with not expecting return. Not ex- it's just the the expression of love is to serve and put on love, which is the bond of perfection. When you wear love and you make it the first thing you're recognized by and and seen by, it's actually creates unity. It it actually it's a magnet for unity when you decide to operate in love and and to live as that is being your standard. You create a magnet for unity. So then and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Now this is such a powerful verse right here. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What does this mean? What does it mean to rule? In some translation, it says, let peace be the umpire of your heart. And in in the Greek, in the Roman era, an umpire was somebody that deemed if an athlete was qualified to compete in um, a sport that would be watched by everybody, that would even be gambled on. I mean, like an umpire deemed if an athlete was qualified to compete or they would even deem if they have been compromised in the standards of how they are to be fit for it. So an umpire ruled whether somebody could compete or not compete. So when we see and let the peace of God be the umpire of your heart or rule in your heart, what it's trying to say is that the way you make decisions in the body of Christ is based off peace, that God's voice is peace, that that's how you hear him is through peace. And that doesn't mean, um, I'm not talking about just warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm talking about that sometimes the peace of God, like remember Jesus was on uh, was in the stern of a boat when there's a major storm going on, but he's sleeping like a baby because he had peace in his heart that they were getting to the other side and that the boat wasn't going to capsize. He had peace because he had direction from God that no matter if everything around him was going haywire, he had peace in his heart to remain calm and to go about life as he was pursuing what God told him in his heart. So the peace of God is the voice of God. I I, I I like when the Lord speaks to me um, and it lines up with scripture, but he'll give me phrases that line up. And this was one he gave me a while back that my faith connects me and his peace directs me. So my faith connects me to God that he gave me the faith. And I, I believe and I, and I, I welcome God into my, my my heart and into my decision making and then his peace directs me so my faith connects me and his peace directs me and then it says the peace of god rules in my heart so my decisions for my life for direction it's all based on peace if i don't have peace then it's something that i'm allowing other things to rule in my life i'm allowing anxiety to rule i'm allowing stress to rule the peace of God has to rule in my hearts. And even further example, when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, you know what he says? He says, my peace I give to you. So what is he trying to say? He says, don't let the world's troubles dictate your decisions. I'm giving you peace. So that way your decisions will be made off what I have given you. And I've given you the peace of God to help be the compass for your life. So it also goes on to say, the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. So did you notice the terminology? It says the peace of God is what called you. Once again, sim- symbolically showing us that the peace of God is the voice of God because it's actually got the ability to call you. 
it's calling the peace of God calls you into new decisions into things like I can share Jackie and I can testify that major decisions we've made in life have been due to the peace of God that even against um, when there was a lot of noise from different directions, we always followed the peace of God. And we allowed the peace of God to direct us in our decision making. And we would calm our minds in the presence of God. And we would just wait for the peace to rise up. And then we would make decisions. And you got to be watchful that you don't make premature decisions based off pressure. But you make beautiful, eternal decisions, weight of eternal decisions by not allowing the pressure of the world to force you to make a decision, but you allow the peace of God to rise up in you, and then you make a decision. Amen? So you got to really guard. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart above all else, for out of it flows the issues of life. Because if you don't guard your heart, the world will infiltrate it and make you um, very compromised in your your belief system, your value system, and everything. You have to set standards I make my decisions based off the word of God and the peace of God leading me to make these decisions. So I know we got, I hope that's helping some people. And then let the word of Christ in verse 16 dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now the word dwell means to feel at home, to feel at home. Okay. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Does the word of God feel at home in your heart? Or is it just an additive? Is it just something you put on the shelf of your heart to just try to show others that you look at it once in a while? Or it's just that? Or does the word of God have a home in your heart to where it's able to make all the decisions for you that that you're not making your decisions based off what the world is throwing down your throat. You're not even making your decisions based off what is trendy in the church. You're making your choices based off the word of God dwelling richly in your heart, that the word of God has, has full reign to run the home, which is your heart. And it says, richly in all wisdom that the word it's teaching and admonishing one another that when you give other people advice are you giving them experiential advice or are you giving them experiential word advice that not just what worked for me but how god led me we should always be pointing people to dependency on the word of god and god not dependency upon a man's opinion or man's thoughts. Um, you get counsel from but the the people that I get counsel from in my life, I know are fully dependent on the word of God. That when I go to them for advice, they're not going to just give me some ho-hum or one-liner out of like a top seller book on Wall Street for business and leadership. Not saying that you can't pull some um wisdom, but all that the the greatest wisdom that you will hear is always you will always find was first taken from the word of God because God is wisdom it, and the enemy tries to pervert the motive of that wisdom and put it through ulterior motives but God is wisdom so as you keep reading it says we admonish one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord once again, you have to watch just because a song is sung by a Christian artist or claims to be a Christian genre, that does not make it biblical and, for that matter, even godly. That just because something is labeled Christian, you know, anything can be labeled Christian. And, it, it, you know, we see so much crazy stuff now. Christian science, Christian this, the church of this, the church, you know, this Christian, this Christian. Just because something is a Christian song, even if it's a song that is sung in a worship setting, does not make it a... a, a you have to make sure the, the songs that you're singing line up with the Word of God. You know, a lot of the old hymns were written by the the ministers they were written by people that were very rich in theology very rich in the scriptures 
song, a lot of worship songs today are so emotional. Um, and in fact, you got to be watchful when worship songs sing more about us than it does God. Like there's a lot of worship songs that you you barely find God in the lyrics or Jesus in the lyrics. It's all me. I'm going through this, 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 that. That's not singing the word of God. You don't hear the angels. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It says, shout unto the Lord. It says, sing to the God. And right here it says, let the word of Christ dwell richly. And so the word of God should be being sung. It should be being uh, admonished with one of truly valued. It shouldn't just be something for this. You got to be watchful. And I, like I said, this might step on toes, but I just, I, I constantly, I want to make sure that I'm lining up with this. A, a while ago, the Lord dropped a really sobering quote in my heart that when we see God, on, when we have to stand before God, he's not going to be the God we thought he was. He's going to be the God he said he was. And if we're not in the scriptures to truly identify who he is and get his heart on things, we'll become really willy nilly with a lot of things. So it says now in verse 17 and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him so once again everything we give thanks to through jesus and it says it's all in the name of the lord jesus you know we have to understand how powerful the name of jesus is that just like if you were to write a check from your bank account the only way that check has authorization is if your signature is on it. So Jesus has given us his name to advance his kingdom, not yours. So we have to know when the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we have to immediately realize that in order to seek first the kingdom, we have to realize the only way there can be a kingdom is if there's a king. So when we seek first the kingdom, we are seeking the king and the way he operates his kingdom. So and to truly seek first the kingdom of God, we would want to know exactly how he operates. We would want this to be, I'm talking so valued in our hearts that every day, I'm seeking first the kingdom. I'm seeking first the kingdom. I'm getting in the word and I'm allowing it to have a home in my heart to help me make every decision in my life. So whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we keep reading, it says, now we talk, We just laid out a lot of character and I know that we've spent the tenure on character and I hope that you really ate these scriptures and you're digesting them and allowing it. But as you continue the latter part of this chapter, it now focuses on the home and your work life. And which we'll is hit on this in closing in the final minutes we're together. It goes into the Christian home here right after that. So this is home life. Okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Let's just pause right here. There is, oh, wow. Like, just think about where our culture is at. I And I know I keep bringing that up, but it's just, we have to under, we have to see the devil for who he is. You see, in the world, there is no, there's no breaks being pushed against the enemy. There's no resistance to the enemy. The world is open season for the agenda of hell. They, they don't realize how they're yielding. They don't realize, and we were all there at one time before we knew the Lord. They're just marching to the, the, the beat of Satan's drum. They're yielding to demonic spirits, to their own emotions. And then the world is, and the media is giving people terminology to explain and justify socially the decisions and the way that we're going. And the reason culture is really the way it is, is because of 
the home. It's because of the family. When the family doesn't cultivate a culture where God is honored and God is revered, you are, you know, wherever honor is not cultivated, weeds of rebellion will grow rampantly. I'm going to say that again. Wherever honor is not cultivated, weeds of rebellion will grow rampantly. And pretty soon you're going to have a rebellious jungle on your hands that you, that there's, and we're seeing that it's creeped so much even into the church where there's just rebellion everywhere. And we have to get back to understanding how important it is to honor God. And his framework for the family is this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Now, here's the thing about submission that we need to realize. You know what's demonic? Uh, If you have to demand submission, you are not worthy of it. You do not demand honor. You live a life that attracts honor. If you have to demand honor, you're not worthy of it. What happens here is when it says wives submit to your husbands, it then immediately says husbands love your wives because the true response to love is submission. And what did Christ said? He said, husbands love your wives. Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and was willing to lay his life down for her. So the submission is the response to sacrificial love. So in the homes, Christian homes, when a husband reveals sacrificial Christ love, wives then submit to sacrificial love, not demanding of submission, not demanding you submit to me, woman. That's so demonic. Sacrificial love, the response to sacrificial love is submission. And when children in the home, because what is next? Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. When children see a man of God willing to lay down his life for his wife, willing to do whatever it takes to see that she has a place of honor, in the home, the children see the beautiful imagery of Christ because it says that marriage is the mystery of the bride and the bridegroom of of Jesus. So when a marriage truly represents Christ and the bride of Christ, children then get to see that on full display and they will obey and honor their parents because they see the gospel completely illustrated in the home. This is good. I, this is real. I just really sense the Holy Spirit all over this right now, helping people that we need to get this back in the homes that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and then wives submit to the sacrificial love and say you're a wife watching right now and your husband is 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 really s- screwing a lot of things up really messing a lot of things up pray for your husband that is a way that you can submit is by praying for him in the areas where he is not yet been truly guided by the holy spirit and pray and and encourage him in the strengths that you do see and husbands find ways to honor your wives find ways to love them and to truly show that sacrificial love and there will be a unity for children to see and then it says in verse 21 fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged once again parents lead by great example lead by great example, showing the father's love to children. And that that doesn't mean you, you can't let things go. You have to discipline. You know, you have to identify rebellion. You don't want your children, you don't spoil your children. You, you teach them values and standards. So that way the next generation has 
respect and they they move in the things of God uh, the proper way. So verse 22, this is talking about work and closing. It says, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. This is intense. This is talking about bond servants, which were practically slaves because this was a part of their cultures. There were slaves at this time. And Paul in different passages says, if you ever have the ability to get, um, you know, to become free, then you, you seize that. But, you know, you have to make sure it's saying here that whatever you do in verse 23, it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Paul is so big here about talking about character, home life, and then he goes on to even talk about work life and the people that you're submitted unto, whether it's your boss, whether it's um, uh, the, the, the church where you're submitted at, the ministry, the leadership that you believe God has called you to, that it's talking about whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, not for um, a approval or applause from men you do it all because you're focusing on your heart before god and then it says knowing that from the lord you will receive the reward and the inheritance for you serve the lord christ i can tell you one thing the lord knows how to reward you more than any man does that should excite you that if you begin to truly understand that the weight of your decisions and the weight of the things that you do for God, if you truly approach it as I'm doing this unto the Lord, I'm not doing it to be seen. I'm doing it just solely as a response of servanthood and love unto my Father. God is going to reward you greatly, and it's going to be, it's going to blow your mind a past of what you think a reward would be, and then. Finally, it says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward. We just read that in verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there will be no partiality. So God is not biased, uh, you know, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to consequence, there's no partiality there. That's why Colossians 3 makes it very clear that we are to put off the old man take off the grave clothes, put on the grace clothes. And then in the home life, we represent God. And then even in the workplace, we're doing things unto the Lord and we're serving him. So, so important. Thank you all for joining us for another amazing time of just diving into the word. Please share this. If you, especially even if there are certain parts that you really believe people need to hear, just help us to, uh, bring the gospel into more people's lives and homes tomorrow night we're having church uh as we're believing for our own facility we're still at 455 riviera road meeting on tuesday nights as our main service come be a part of what god's doing we're going to be talking about honor tomorrow and i'm so excited for what the lord has already been uncovering to me and what's going to be shared so we will see you then we love you all it's so good to see Bob, Eric, Nate, Evan, Ted, Diane, Venus, Carolyn. So awesome having you all with us this evening. We love you all, and we will see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. God bless you all.